Well, thank you all so much for having me and uh, love being here with you guys. It's just a sweet place. You all are very warm and welcoming to me. And so I appreciate that and uh, I love to give back to you guys when I can. So you guys bless me. Well, I'll give you just a quick update of what's happening on our campus, and then I'm going to move into our passage um, and what we're going to be preaching through today, but giving you a little bit of context of where we are as a university and what's happening just over the bridge, Christopher Newport, will also give context to this sermon, because this sermon is coming out of a series that I'm preaching to my students on campus on a regular basis. And so what's happening right now in Christopher Newport is we were meeting in person where 50% of my students were having class in person and 50% of their courses were virtual. And as of Monday, because we had some more uh, cases spread on campus and we've had a lot more quarantining, students are still on campus, but the difficulty is is now that they've restricted in-person gatherings to only 10 people. Before that, we could at least have 20 people to gather, and we were hosting as a ministry two services on Wednesday nights of 20 people and 20 people, and we'd have an RSVP system, and we'd meet. I would have a worship team. We'd celebrate. We would go through this oh, series on how do we grow during a time of crisis, right? Loving the Lord and loving others. Um, and now we've had a little bit of things get shaken up a little bit more this week because now we're kind of back to Zoom. And as you, as you found out, that Zoom is both a blessing and a curse in many ways. Uh, my students have very much found that to be true. So really, I'd ask for prayer um, because my students, they are, they are loving anything in person. Our ministry was booming up until the past kind of week and a half. And it's still going well, but we're talking, I had lots of opportunities because we could work within the numbers and the systems, but now that quarantine's kind of compressing things a little bit more on campus, reasonably so for health purposes. It's a lot harder and students are more anxious, more depressed, but there's also just more of the laissez-faire, kind of like I'm just gonna be in my room and be more isolated. So the difficulty is, is how do we reach and love them well? Well, we have plenty of opportunities but pray that those opportunities and those students, even if it's virtual, would still be open for them. Because I actually just had another staff member join my team. I have two interns who work for me and I just got another one as of this past week. And I really need his help um, to reach and love these students. And he's actually working on his master's to become a counselor. So great time to work on those counseling skills working on the university campus with me. But pray for me, my staff, my students, as we try to navigate these murky waters, everything's shifting. So pray for us, we would appreciate it. Well, that's a little bit of an intro because what we're gonna talk through is belief today and the doctrine of justification. And we're gonna ask a central question, does what we believe matter? Does what you believe, what you have convictions about, what you think about, what you believe, does it, has, does it have power to move you, to change you? to cause regression in your life or to cause great change in your life. Do your beliefs matter? Do your beliefs fuel every action? And do your actions in life actually reveal what you believe? So do your beliefs matter? And I'm teaching my college students that, oh yeah, your beliefs, they really matter. And what you believe regarding truth and truth in the Bible matters significantly. 
And the question in the series we're going through is how do we grow in a time of crisis going through a global pandemic? And we're going through week by week different ways out of the Bible, the Lord actually grows people in suffering and trials and tribulations, right? And one way that we grow is right belief and deep belief in the right things. And so we're going to talk about one of the most central doctrines in the Christian faith, the doctrine of justification, and we're going to see some of its beauty in Romans 4 and in Romans 5. But before we get there, I want to just kind of show you the power of belief, all right? And so these are some illustrations um, that I've kind of been been reading through my students. They gravitate towards some of these because of the unique characters and the time. But if you've heard of Conor McGregor, He's a pretty prolific celebrity fighter now, MMA. He's a, he's a pretty big name. And this is what Conor McGregor, pretty vicious, pretty, pretty uh, wealthy guy now. Well, this is what he says about belief, all right, and the power of belief. He says, I believe in believing. My coach, John Kavanaugh, is a big atheist. He's always trying to persuade people of his way of thinking. And I think, what a waste of energy. If people want to believe in this God or believe in that God, that's fine by me believe away. But I think we can be our own gods. I believe in myself. Question is, is how is that belief working out for him? 2017, he punched an older man who's connected to an Irish cartel, and rumor is he had to pay a million dollars to this Irish cartel so that neither he or his family would be injured by the Irish cartel. 2018, he was arrested for tossing a moving dolly on the opponent's travel bus, which he therefore got community service, was fined, and had to go to anger management classes. And 2019, he was arrested for stealing a man's cell phone. 2020, in March, he was charged with sexually assaulting a person. And 2020, the next month in April, he assaulted an elderly man who's pending charges for that. And maybe I think just three Saturdays ago or four Saturdays ago now, he received a second assault charge, which pending charges. How is it working out for him believing that he could be his own God, right? How's that belief working itself out in actions in his life? How's it working? Here's another one. How about Ruder Bates Ginsburg, RBG? And now not everything that she stood for was always bad. She served well. But in some things that she believed and exercised her powers, they were always sometimes not as good as it needed to be. And this is a quote from something, unfortunately, with the power of her belief, but belief that probably brought about the wrong kind of, of action, right? And, and so let me read to you a Ruth Bader Ginsburg quote. She says, abortion, this right is something central to a woman's life, to her dignity. It's the decision that she must make for herself and when the government controls that decision for her, she's being treated as less than a fully adult human responsible for her own choices. For 27 years, she was, was on the Supreme Court, and she ruled in all sorts of reproductive cases for the, the rights of women to be able to even right, give up the life of their unborn baby. How did that belief, that conviction of what's right, that belief of RBG, how did that work out for those unborn children? How did that work out for many of the mothers who many of them probably had guilt or shame? The two last churches I was a pastor on staff with, 
I had many a women who had had abortions and there was much maternal guilt and shame. How did this work out for society and community? Losing some of these people, some of these beautiful children. Does what we believe have power? Does it matter? Oh yeah, right? It really does. How about this, Martin Luther? When he read Romans chapter one, verses 17, that talks about the power of the gospel and an alien righteousness that is not ours, but properly belongs to Jesus Christ, but we get his righteousness that's outside of us, but given to us or imputed into us, that that made a change in his incredible life. Well, what did that belief that there is truly power in believing the gospel and that Jesus' righteousness is his own, and it's not by works, how did that bring change in his life? He's one of the most powerful figures in modern history, one of the most influential people in Western history, and you can think all sorts of reforms in Catholicism at that time, but also in Protestantism today, tracing back to some of the person and the work of Martin Luther. And so, does belief have power? Does belief matter? Oh, you bet it does. Does believing the right things truly matter? It does, it has legs and it moves. So I want you to see that what we believe truly matters. Now, if you have a Bible, you can open it to Romans. I'm going to actually read it. And if you don't, that's quite okay because I'm gonna read Romans chapter four. We're gonna sit in Romans five, but I wanna read to you the precursor of justification. What is it? Well. Romans 4 gives us a really great idea of what it is. So what is this doctrine of justification? Romans 4, and it says, verse 1, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Verse 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or those for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised and all who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Verse 13, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. 
of belief. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That, it, it, that is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the inherent of the law, but also the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No, unbelief made him waver unconcerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead our Lord Jesus, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. What is justification? It's a legal declaration. You are free from the penalty of your sin. What is the penalty of your sin? The wages of sin is death. All of you have fallen short of the glory of God. Me too. Even if you're not as evil as you could be, have you done one wrong? You bet. Have you missed God's measure and holy and perfect standard being perfect in all moral aspects of your life? You bet. Do you get to earn your own way now to heaven? No, because you are not perfect. So somebody had to come and live a perfect, moral, righteous life for you. And that is what this doctrification, justification is, that you get declared over you what is true of Jesus's life. You get that and it's counted. You are not made perfectly righteous because you and I both know, especially if you're married, husband right, or wife or children, you guys know none of y'all are perfect when you especially get to see things in the home, right? We're behind closed doors. Well, that's reality. Well, guess what? God sees all things, all things, even secret things. And he knows we're not perfect. But thank the Lord, Jesus came, lived that perfect life in secret and in public for your good news, for his greater glory. And we get his righteousness and it's counted to you. It's accredited to you. You haven't earned it. You get it. Is that good news? Yes, it is. Because you're getting what you don't deserve. You're getting grace. You're getting mercy. This is good. You get a right legal standing before God in his holy court of law, right? And there's eternal consequences to this. In Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer asks Paul and Silas, sirs, what must I do to be eternally saved from the consequences right of his sin? And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. Belief has eternal consequences, not just temporal ones to it as well. That is what you're seeing. Belief matters. And the right belief 
and then the right person, it matters, right? And so we're beginning to see this and trusting that God is who he says he is, right? And he can do the things he says he can do. And so what we get now is a picture of what are some of these benefits though, right? What are some of the good things that we get from this doctrine, this right belief? How does it actually benefit us? Well, Paul keeps going. He says, there's a whole lot of good news in this doctrine of justification. Just flip over to Romans chapter five. And this is what he says in verses one through 11. And we're gonna sit just a little bit more in this. This is some of the benefits and the glories that we get to receive from this doctrine. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, not works, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we can rejoice in our sufferings. This is good news right now in the pandemic that we're going through, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces real hope. And hope, especially in the Lord, does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the work of the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, you and me. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a, a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by Jesus' blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by Jesus' very life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we now have received reconciliation. So what are some benefits that we receive? How about peace with God? Things aren't awkward between you and God who sees every intention of your heart every affection of your heart, every thought, everything in secret, everything in public, who sees everything. There's no awkwardness or weirdness. There's no guilt or shame being, being hanging over your head because God sees all, knows all he does. That is gone. There's peace. You don't owe him because that debt's been paid. That's good news. There is peace. There's no longer enmity. You get kindness, gentleness, love, eternal care. How about the fact that you get to now access to stand in a state of graciousness, a state of grace, a state of unmerited favor, that your actually measure for righteousness when God looks at you is a full measure of righteousness and perfection. I know that's not true of your individual life. I know it's not true of my life, but, but God, when he looks at you and he sees his son, Jesus, he sees that. That's good news. You know what that really means? In God's holy court of law, if you were to walk in, you would be wearing a jumpsuit. And God's holy law, right, you've broken his laws, you've done some evil things or inclined some things or been motivated by some evil things or selfish things. You should be wearing an orange jumpsuit with his holy handcuffs being slapped on. And when that gavel comes down, it should be guilty because you are and I am too. But the good news is, is you get legally declared free of all that you've done. Now and forevermore, Jesus comes in, takes on 
the orange jumpsuit, takes on the cuffs. He gets declared guilty for what you did, and he gets put on death row. And then he's not on death row for very long, because guess what? Then he gets exercised and gets put to death. He atones for you, and you get his perfection, his goodness, his perfect life. That's standing in a state of unmerited favor. You get that. I get that. That's good news, right? John Stott, wonderful pastor and theologian, he says this, Justification is not a synonym for amnesty, which is pardon without principle, which is a forgiveness which overlooks or even forgets wrongdoing and declines to bring it to justice. No, justification is an act of justice when God justifies sinners. He is not declaring bad people to be good or saying that they're not sinners after all, but he is pronouncing counting them legally righteous, free from any liability to the broken laws they've committed against the Lord himself, whether in public or in secret. We are justified by Jesus's blood. End of quote. Good news. How about also knowing that the Lord uses our sufferings, what you're going through right now and all the COVID chaos and crisis that's coming to your world and your life and your family, which I'll tell you right in the Lee family right now, it is. The Lord uses that suffering to produce character, deep virtues. How about deep dependence on actually needing the Lord? We're Americans. Do we often really need the Lord? Sometimes we think we don't, but in this pandemic, is that, uh, that need getting really exposed? Oh, yes, it is. Maybe that might be good and holy and right sometimes. And we're seeing that even the suffering can drive us deeper to need the Lord in ways that we've always needed, but maybe we just didn't see that we needed. Does it also give us real hope, not on your bank account or your job or anything like that? Yeah, it forces us to, to actually believe that, Lord, you're the one who looks out for us and takes care of us. Suffering, endurance, hope. The Lord does not waste the things, the trials, tribulations we're going through, but uses them to draw us nearer to himself and to refine us and beautify us from the inside out. How about he also pours out his Holy Spirit in us? When we're declared righteous, he gives us his spirit to help us make sense and illuminate God's words, which are sometimes complex and not always easy to understand when you open up the Bible. But how about the Holy Spirit helping you understand God's word? Or how, how about him tickling your conscience when you need it tickled, when you're about to gauge in all sorts of unsavory things, whether in thought, word, or deed? Holy Spirit is at work, right? How about salvation from wrath that you deserve? That's good news. You deserve to be eternally separated from God because you do not meet his standard of holiness. That's what you deserve. How about not getting that? That sounds like good news to me. I like that. How about also the fact that Jesus, not only do we not receive it, but he received it. Let me remind you of, of what's true of Jesus and the goodness of what he's done for you. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, the Messiah would come and give us good news. He, Jesus, right, the coming Messiah, was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that, was, that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. And how are you healed? How about spiritually you're connected to the source of all life, the God, the maker of heaven and earth. He is connected to you, loves you, cares about you, and wants good for you. That sounds good. How about the fact that there'll be a day and age 
when you will come and you meet your maker, you will have no more ailments, no more struggles, emotionally, physically, spiritually. They will be gone. You will be in perfection with a, a perfected physical body. That sounds like good healing that we get from the person and work of Jesus Christ. That sounds like some, some great attributes of this justification, right, by faith. John Calvin says, and he's right about this, justification by faith is the hinge in which all true religion turns. It is the central doctrine of our faith that it's not what you can do, but what somebody's done for you that is the greatest news in the world. So what are you supposed to do with it? That great news, you should share it. Because every other working religion says you've got to do something to earn some state of freedom, some state of peace, some state of connection. You have to do something. Christianity is the only thing that says, no, 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 it's been done for you. Believe. Now and forevermore. And if you think Paul wasn't going to reinforce this doctrine enough, I'm going to close by reading Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And then I'm going to give you the application of, so what, what do we do now? And Paul says, For by grace, unmerited favor, you have been saved through faith, disbelief. This is not your own doing, even belief. It's the Lord's doing. It is the gift of God because of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, not a result of your works so that none of you may boast. For we are the Lord's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So in light of this glorious doctrine that we need to continually understand and appreciate because you and I will never outgrow the doctrine of justification, we just need to understand what we are freed from more, understand what we are freed unto more, which is service and loving others more, and honestly see and enjoy God for who he is a whole lot more in and light of this doctrine. So you're never gonna outgrow this but then now what do we do when we begin to enjoy it and love it more? We should be a grateful people. And not only should we should be a, a grateful people, you should share this doctrine of justification of Romans 4 or 5 to somebody. Or you should text message, hey guys, I was just reading through Romans 4 and 5. Maybe you should take a look at that. Send it to one person. Just a reminder. Hey, I love you today. Why don't you read this in the Bible? And let the Holy Spirit work through that text. Because guess what? Does the word of the Lord ever return void? The Bible says no. Do you trust that that's true? Try it out. Send it to somebody. Read Romans 4. Read Romans 5. Right? Invite them to church where they're going to hear about these good things. And lastly, as we are grateful and the doctrine is working in and through us, as we're believing it and we're appreciating what we've been forgiven from and what we are freed to do, you are prepared for good works. So think about one person and show them kindness. You're legally free now. You're not binded or shackled by the weight or guilt of your sin. You are free. So as free people, love, love somebody well. Care for somebody well. And I want you to think of one particular person who God has placed in your life, and I want you to care for that person. Remind them of the good news of the doctrine of justification of Romans 4 or 5 or do something tangibly for them to show them that you love them and live out the freedom of Romans 4 or 5. And I want you to think about that person right now because we're going to pray that the Lord would actually motivate you from this good news to live out this good news. 
not just to be religious consumers, but to be people who embody this beautiful freedom and good news and this, this grace that you have received. You would extend it. Let us be that kind of people, a powerful people, because beliefs matter. And they have weight. And we ought to gift those good beliefs to people, to share with them the freedom that we have. Amen? Pray with me that we would have hearts to be convicted that this is good news and that we want to share that good news. Pray with me. Lord, you are faithful. Lord, you are kind. Lord, we are a people who, Lord, have, uh, who have heard your scriptures, Lord, that come from a divine source, but, Lord, have also come through the, the, the person of, of Paul. And, and, Lord, a person who was not righteous, a person who, Lord, actually hunted Christians, but yet, Lord, you pardoned him, you changed him, you beautified him, and you worked, Lord, wonderfully in and through him. Lord, for your glory and his deeper contentment and joy, even in suffering. Lord, may we be that kind of church and that kind of people, even as individuals. Lord, do the deep work of working the doctrine of justification into our hearts and not just in through our heads. But Lord, help us to be a people who live it and breathe it. Lord, not just understand or know it. Lord, give us conviction. Lord, you have put people around us for us to bless, to invite to church, to invite to the chili cook-off, Lord, to invite uh, and always to be entered into a relationship with you or to be, Lord, uh, entered into a relationship with your word to begin to unpack it. Lord, put a person on our heart, Lord, the Holy Spirit. Remind us, Lord, because you do live within us. Remind us, Lord, that this is a gospel that's active, that beliefs have power, and that we, Lord, ought to be... A, be a people who gift these beautiful beliefs that free us and that, Lord, give us life and vitality. Whether it's just a simple email, Lord, a text message, or, Lord, it's a tangible, Lord, giving of a Bible or caring for somebody, Lord, and showing them the freedom that we have in Christ, that we are free to serve well because we first have a God who serves us. Help us to be that kind of people who live out our faith, Lord, who love our faith, and who dive deeper into our faith. Lord, help us to be a people who believe. Lord, we love you and we need you. And all God's people said, amen, amen.